Hi, I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am chatting with Charles Bruce McIntyre, or Bruce to anyone who knows him, is a retired business owner and cancer survivor. He was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1941 and often moved while growing up. After spending 17 years in corporate America, Bruce founded and managed a food service sales and marketing agency for 30 years. There are no answers here, only questions is his first published work. In his writing, Bruce shows his ability to successfully move from transmitting boring business memos to the art of telling a good story. Bruce and his wife Joyce have been married since 1967 and have two grown children and four grandchildren. The couple share their retirement cottage with a gregarious golden retriever and a shy indoor cat. All call Charlotte, North Carolina home. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Oh, thank you, Kara. Good to be with you. Yes, this is great to talk to you today. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are? Oh, gee, well, I'm, as you just said in the introduction, I'm a, a retired business owner. I'm also a cancer survivor. Um, and interestingly, the the two events, the, the leaving the business and the cancer happened surprisingly at exactly the same time. Wow. I was was in it planned process- that way? I'm sorry? Was it planned that way? Oh, no, no. no. Okay. All right. You don't plan, you don't plan cancer. Well, but meaning like, did you, did you get diagnosed and then plan to leave? Okay. Okay. No, I understand your question now. Yeah. Um, no, I was, I was getting ready for the first serious negotiation with the potential new owner. Okay. When in the exact same week, like a day before, I discovered a lump on the left side of my my neck. And I tried to dismiss the lump as just being an inflamed saliva gland, which is what the oral surgeon had said or something like that. So all okay. through the beginning negotiations, even that first week, I was worried about the lump, but I was also trying to negotiate the sale of the business. Wow. So the two happened in exactly the same week. Wow. Now move ahead. Four and a half months, the, the lump is diagnosed as cancer. We go through all of the radiation, chemotherapy, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm going downhill fast. The negotiation is more or less moving smoothly. There are a few bumps, but not many. And then the final paperwork is signed. The check hits the bank. And I have the final treatment of radiation all in the same week. Wow. So the story starts in the same week, ends in the same week, four and a half months apart in the summer of 2010. Wow. Wow. I can't imagine the roller coaster ride. A roller coaster indeed. And that's, that's kind of what made me really want to tell the story because I said, okay, <clears throat> a lot of people set our businesses and unfortunately a lot of people get cancer. Um, yeah. 
But rarely does, do they both coincide in such a way that they start and end in the same week, um, almost a third of a year, over a third of a year apart. Yeah. Wow. Talk about timing. So is that what spurred you on to write your book? Well, I, I think uh, I had been, stories like that you tell. You, you tell them at family dinners. You tell them at cocktail parties if somebody will listen and they don't glaze over. Sure. Um, you know, you, you tell them all the time. So over a, over a period of years, you start to say, gee, how do these stories become legacy? And maybe when do they go from being oral history to being written history? And that's when you start thinking about writing. And then, then you simply write each scene and then you stitch those together. And before long, you have, you have a book that, um, that, that hopefully people go in the store, pick up and read. Yeah. Wow. You make it sound like it's so easy, but I know it cannot be that easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's maybe it's like the the little duck on the pond. You know, it looks easy, but underneath he's going like crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it took four years to write to actually write. I mean, it took wow all that time to develop the stories, but it took four years to write, and then uh, one year with the uh, developmental editor, editor, the copy editor, the uh, proofreader, um, layout and design, um, you know, getting it printed, all of the things that you have to do. So, yeah, it, it, it takes a little bit of work, as you well know. Yeah. Yeah. So was the intent when you were before the cancer diagnosis and before this first negotiation was your intent that you were going to retire at this point? I had a lot of of community activities going on. I had been involved for several years in some work with Charlotte's homeless population and okay. one particular role of trying to connect them with employment. And employment for the homeless is a little different than employment for somebody who has a nice resume and and can present a good appearance when they walk in an employment office. Sure. But for the homeless, when they have all their possessions in a black plastic bag, it's a little difficult not to stand out in a bad way in the waiting room. Um, so just working through finding the right employers who were interested in them was an interest I would I knew I would pursue after retirement. Um, the other was a project I had been involved in and ended up covering about 12 years in El Salvador, where I was in partnership with Habitat for Humanity, developing a community in Awachapan, which is one of the northwest uh, districts up by Guatemala in a, in a single village, where we were working on housing and employment and uh, leadership skills and all of the things that you need to do to bring a holistic development to a community. So I knew that would continue. Um, I was also at that time a golfer. I thought I would continue to play golf. Okay. Um, didn't. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I had a pretty active retirement planned. Yeah. So I imagine that that shift in your plans, that was huge for you. I I'm... I had thought that the, that the cancer treatment would end the 1st of August. I had a tra- trip planned to El Salvador in September. Okay. About five months later. And all through that, the doctors had, I had said, well, I'll be going to El Salvador in September. And the doctors had just said, right. Well, I figured out that right doesn't mean right. Yeah. We'll see about that. Um, And so recovery ended up taking not a month and a half that I had planned on it. It ended up taking more like a year and a half because I had not had any nutrition come in by my mouth. Everything had come in through a feeding tube uh, for four and a half months. And so, and I'd lost a lot of weight and hair and all of the other stuff that that go along with it. So recovery took just a whole lot longer than I thought. And I spent that year sitting on the back terrace of our home uh, trying to recover. And when you're doing that, you end up thinking a lot. And it's it's that thinking that, that got me deeper into who I am and what I care about and is golf really important or are there other things more important and just all of those kind of questions that you have and maybe that's where the questions that don't necessarily bring answers only bring more questions happen as you get older. Yeah. Well, in an event like a cancer diagnosis, right, that's going to make you really start to dig deep and like you said you you now had all this time right where you're recovering to to do the thinking yeah exactly wow well so this is the basis of your memoir yeah it's all true it's all true um yeah (laughs) i was at i i i did a reading um at a bookstore last night up in winston-salem okay and i was asked if if everything in the memoir was true, and I said, well, yes, it's true. All of the names are true. All of the dates are true. Um, and the person asking the question, well, did it really start and really end in the same week? And I said, yeah. I mean, the dates are in there. The um, um, the attorney who handled uh, from Washington, D.C., who handled the sale has gone through the whole thing and confirmed all of the dates in his log. The doctors have confirmed all of theirs. It's all in uh, journals and emails. So, yeah, I can I you can fact check it all day long and all of it's all of it's true. Wow. Wow. So when it was, so I know you said it took you four years to write, and then I know it's a lengthy process to get it published as well. When was it officially published? Uh, March 1st of this year. Okay. So it's only been a couple of months. Okay. Well, I can't wait to go pick this up. I am very excited for that. My, um, I was a physical therapist by trade. Ah, Um, and my one of my first jobs actually was at an oncology center we were very we were very lucky that my husband got orders to hawaii as our first duty uh-huh. station so we moved out to hawaii 
and I got a job at a women's health center that, um, and it was mostly we saw, we worked with the oncology physician. So mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. saw a lot of, um, you know, various cancers, but head and neck were one we saw a lot because the radiation, yeah, there was a lot of rehab needed for that. Yeah. And how recently were you working with that population? So that would have been 2011 to 2014. Okay. So, and then in 2015 to 2017, I worked it was similar in Virginia Beach. Yeah. Um, so. there, there's been a lot of progress in that area in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, there's a lot more physical therapy being for both, both voice and swallowing and so forth than yeah. there was uh, earlier. Um, in 2010, there was not nearly the physical therapy prescribed that there is today. And, and that's, we're fortunate that medical science continues to advance the way they do. Yeah. Yeah, I remember doing a lot of advocacy. And I think that's why I liked that working with that patient population was the advocacy work involved as mm -hmm. we would go out to the physician offices and we would educate them about why ah, you know patients like you needed physical great. therapy and great. um and if I, as i've done personality tests over the years that advocacy piece always comes up like that's something in my personality so i think that's why i really yeah. gravitate well i, I think it. that's incredibly important because as good as the medical doctor is they know their particular specialty and they don't always expand that out to other disciplines the way the way it could be. Um, and so I think it's that advocacy work that gets them aware of a larger picture than just the one they're focused on. Yeah. Yeah. And we did a lot of community events, like you're saying, yeah. you know, we were involved uh, with the community and, and I, I loved it. I, the only reason I've kind of stepped away from my role of physical therapy is now we have children. And so I well, want to be got, here with you've them. Got a full -time job. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I would like to be here with them in these younger years. So I'm going to enjoy my exactly. time. With them. Life, life, life is not one thing. Life is, life is all sorts of phases and you, you, you take and enjoy each of them um, separately. They're, they're really yeah. different. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, fast forward to you. What are you up to now these days? You have your book published. Well, I, 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 I honestly thought that I would just type the end and it would be the end. But <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, there. Uh, I mean, I love doing things like this with you. I love speaking places like Winston Salem last night. Um, there's a lot of just. Uh, publicity, um, you know, sales, marketing kind of stuff that that you get involved in, and and that's rewarding. I was asked often when I was going through the writing process, what do you expect to accomplish? Okay. And, and my answer to that was that if one person read the story and got benefit in it, then I would be happy. Yeah. And that has happened many hundredfold. I've I've had a number of people who have read it and been extremely pleased with what they read. So then you say, well, gee, if if four or five hundred people are moved by this, maybe maybe more would be affected the same way. So it 
it it gets a snowballing kind of effect, and it's not about it's not about selling the books. Although obviously, you know, you'd rather you'd rather sell them than not sell them. But um, it's about people getting something out of it, whether they get one little smidgen or not. Uh, if it has value to them, then then that's rewarding to me. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to the last few months. Um, okay. That'll taper off, and then we'll then we'll see what's next. Yeah. Yep. And like you said, it'll it could be something totally different. Life will just take Who us knows? on a different path. We never Who know. Knows? Yeah. <laughs> Let's switch gears a little bit. And why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are as a reader? Ah, well, I think that's gone through phases. You know, we talk about life going in phases. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I had the usual books growing up, um, Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer and all those kind of things. Okay. And and I I enjoyed those a lot. I had a series of 12 volumes called My Book House. Um, great stories by, by well-known writers that were intended to progress as the child progressed in terms of their understanding of worldviews and so forth. We actually have those on our shelf. We have been oh, homeschooling really? the past few years. We've done a lot of yeah. moving in the past two years. Yeah, great. And so... We have been using those for my son for part of his curriculum. Those are wonderful. So then, then into college, and I was an economics major, and so ugh, I was reading economic <laughs> theory kind of stuff. Um, then into corporate America, and boy, oh boy, do they do they put um, blinders on you and direct your reading in corporate America um, to where you're reading business development books and. Um, all of those kind of things, and um, and and those were very beneficial. I mean, there's some there's some great thinking in all of that. And it wasn't until later that I was able to get out more into other genre and and uh, explore other ideas. And I'm fascinated by memoir more than autobiography. Okay. It's it's great to read about fame people um, but to me it's even greater to read about some ordinary guy like myself that nobody knows about and see the transition that they went through in some way in their life if they will if they will tell me a story of what they thought then and what they thought think now I can see that transition and it's in that transition or transformation that I find value. So it's not about the individual. It's about their story. And and there's a distinction in my mind with that. Um, so I like those stories. Um, I like I like I like novels. Um, I also like historic nonfiction. Um, okay. There's some. There's some great writers that today that are are taking events of today, and we have a polarization going on in this country. Yeah. And there are some great writers today who are taking us through the roots of all of that, going back 
world into the Civil War and the Revolutionary War and how that thread has always been in our society, just never as exposed as it is today. Um, So I find those kind of writers fascinating. That sounds really interesting. I haven't read a book that's made the connection through all the years, but that would be Ah, very interesting. there's 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 a historian by the name of Heather Cox Richardson. Okay. And she's a tenured history professor at Boston College, Boston University. But she lives up in Maine, and she writes a Substack column called Letters from an American. Her name is Heather Cox Richardson, and she does a beautiful job of relating events today to events that may have happened 50, 100, 150 years ago. Um, She also has a very good book called How the South Won the Civil War. Okay. And I, that, she would contend that that's a lot of what we're seeing today. The, the separation in the South, many in the North thought was over with the Civil War, but Heather Cox Richardson would contend that it's still going on and that it's that separation that is driving the wedge today. Wow. So she's using those past events to connect them to current history. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she probably has the largest readership of any Substack writer I know of. I think if you were to um, kind of track Substack um, readership, you would find her at the very top. Okay. Um, and then I also read things where I don't read for plot, but I read for tone and rhythm and and message. I may only read one scene. Okay. And that's all I need. I don't need the entire 350 pages. I can read two or three and get some snippet that I like. And those are the books I'll go back to time and time again. Okay. Oh, I love that. A spoken like a true writer there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then when do you find time to read in your day? When do I read? Yes. Um, Snippets. Um, I try to always, I try to have two things with me. Well, more than that. Um, Okay. I've always got my, (laughs) I've always got my billfold, my car keys and I'm in my phone. Yeah, but I've always got a notepad and I've always got a book. Okay. Um, because as a writer, um, ideas happen, and you can't say I write. I only write in the morning. No, you write twenty four seven, three sixty five. Yeah. It may be on the back of a cocktail napkin or <laughs> or wherever. But if an idea hits, you really, I, I at least need to write it down. If I think, if I think for a minute that I'll just remember that, no, I need to write it down and then sort through all of those notes and say, hmm, these two connect. Yeah. Um, so I've always got a book with me and I've always got a pad and pen with me. Well, I should take notes from you just on my mom brain, because I, I always think that, right? I'll be with the kids and I'm like, oh, I don't have time to write that down right now. I'll remember that later. 
Yeah. And then I get to later and I'm like, what was it that I wanted to remember? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I, I, I also feel, Kara, that if you, if you try to, it's, it's like phone numbers on your phone. I mean, I, yeah. I don't, I know my cell number. We still have a landline. Um, yeah. I don't know why we do, but we do. I don't know that number. Mm-hmm. I have to look it up on my phone. Um, <laughs> I don't see any reason to remember something that I can write down because the minute I write it down, it's been transferred to that piece of paper and it no longer needs to be in my mind. And that gives my mind more room to do other things. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I saw a quote recently and it was like, what is our what are our brains doing now or where's the storage now with all the the numbers the phone numbers we used to have memorized it's like where did that capacity yeah. go <laughs> yeah it went into your phone <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we've yeah. just let it go no we've let it loose yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and that and that probably is a good thing because you know i i'm old enough to remember in business where we had a big rolodex on on our desk and you would turn that around and if I wanted to find your phone number, I would go to to your name and find it. Yeah. Well, that meant I had to be at my desk to work. Well, that's kind of confining, isn't it? So now, you know, your phone number is in my phone and my phone is in my pocket. So you're in my pocket, <laughs> whether you want to be or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what we can walk around with, right? And just yeah. our pocket now. Yeah. yeah. So... Okay, well, you have also so graciously prepared a book flight for us today of books. Do you want to talk a little bit about how they pair together? Uh, yeah, um, I thank you for the advance warning, um, <laughs> or not advance warning for the for the request. I put together three books, and um, one is a memoir by a woman by the name of Judy Goldman. The name of the memoir is Child, C-H-I-L-D. Okay. And she is a white, southern, mature woman, realizing that she was raised by a black woman in a time when that was very common Yet the black woman had given her child to her mother to raise so that she was free to earn a living raising the child of a white family. And so in, in the memoir, Child, Judy recalls her growing up with this older black woman and how close their relationship was. And only later discovers how much this black woman had to give up to earn an income so that she had the money to support her own child who she couldn't be with. Powerful statement on on race. Um, And the beauty of this book, I think, is how unaware of that Judy was growing up. It was just common that women in the South were, oh, children in the South were raised by black nannies. Um, it was so common, but yet how socially wrong and, and what, what harm was done by doing that. So 
an, in, an incredible memoir. I have the chills of just thinking about that. Yeah. And what she gave exactly, up. exactly. Yeah. But it was it, it was it was extremely common. The other book is is a novel. The title is The Kudzu Queen. It's okay. by Mimi Herman. She lives in Durham, North Carolina, right okay. across the from the Duke University campus. Um, and <clears throat> kudzu is an insidious vine that has t taken over the southeast. It grows on everything from bare, bare roadside landscapes up the side of barns, telephone poles. It would take over a whole house if you yet let it. But wow. back in 1941, when kudzu was first in introduced to the southeast it was introduced as a miracle crop that would feed the cattle um, provide a good income for the farmers um, it was this wonderful thing that would solve all of the world's problems oh, um, best of intentions exactly yeah so this story um, set in 1941 and told brilliantly by Mimi Herman from the viewpoint of a 14-year-old girl in the South who falls in love with this man who brought kudzu to the South um, and thinks she wants a long-term romantic relationship with him. Turns out she doesn't, for many good reasons. Um, is the story of how some things that seem so good, so right on the surface can turn out to be so wrong down the road. So that's, that's another other book I would recommend. The wow. third. Where, can I ask really quick, where did the kudzu sure. come from? Where did they find it to then bring it to the Southeast I, United States? I think in the, in the, in the East, somewhere in China and okay. it was brought over. It, it's the kind of crop that you can take a little sprig and you can put it in your suitcase and Three months later, with no water, no sunlight, no anything, it still grows. Wow. And so that's kind of the value of kudzu from from the point of view of the colonel who was going around selling kudzu. Yeah. Um, you, you, you don't need any green thumb to grow it. You just stick it in the ground, it'll grow. So that was also its problem. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's the origin of kudzu. Okay. Um, Thank you. Now, you want to go to book number three? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Um, this is a, uh, the third book I've chosen is titled The Secret of FBI File 100-3-116. Okay. Um, it's a spy novel. It's written by Mark DeCastric. And... It is the story of a secret FBI file that was made public finally in the Open Document Acts that that happen when documents de get declassified. Sure. Okay. And it's the story of plots in Asheville, North Carolina, to assassinate Martin Luther King long before he was assassinated 
in Memphis. Um, And it's all true, um, but it is the the behind-the-scenes investigative work that the FBI did into the the planned assassination of Martin Luther King and from the viewpoint of the FBI back then and J. Edgar Hoover, was that a good thing to happen or a bad thing to happen? You would think an assassination would be a bad thing to happen, but not necessarily if your world point of view um, was different than the person being assassinated. Um, Now, to me, these three books, although totally different, all have a a justice component, okay. uh, a social justice component, and as a reader, that's something I enjoy exploring: is how how that theme of justice gets interwoven either into our lives or how it intentionally gets taken out of our lives. Yeah. That's very interesting to think about. And this is also why I love reading because it sounds like in these books, I would, you know, and in most books, I can walk in someone else's shoes in a life that hasn't been my own, right? Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, the transformation that you might go through or the empathy that we can gain for others through hearing their stories. Well, I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm not sure who said it but there's some kind of quote that everyone reads the same book differently yeah and i think there's a lot of truth to that i i think i i have certainly found with my book just in the two and a half months that it's been around um the the extraordinary number of readers have come to me and either their entire focus has been on the cancer or on the sale of the business or on some of the spiritual component, or on some of the community work, and how each of those readers seemingly read a different book than the other reader. (laughs) But they all read the same book. Because there's an awful lot going on under the surface in anything we read. Yeah. And this is why I love talking to people. We're all so unique, and we have something that we can learn from one another. And so that's the part about this polarization going on in our country that, you know, it, it kind of makes me fearful for my kids. Cause I'm like, I don't want us to be so divided that we can't come across and, and learn from one another and hear each other's mm-hmm. stories because they're all valid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you for sharing those with us. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank um, you for the challenge because that's a, it's it's an interesting it's you you're posing an interesting question and I think it's one we don't think about enough so thank you for asking that you're welcome yeah and I know for a reader it is really hard to pare down to three books I know that is a challenge yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well what I like to do to finish the show is what I call our bonus pairings and they're just a speed round of questions so you can just answer these really quick. So where is your favorite place to read? Oh, my favorite. <laughs> well, my favorite place to read is, is more or less where I'm sitting right now. There's a, 
there's a very comfortable chair off to the left of me that you can't see. Um, And uh, our golden retriever, she's not there at the moment, but she's usually curled up right beside it. Um, And sometimes she'll wiggle her way into it and get half on the footstool and half in the the chair. Um, And be comfortable too. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's probably my favorite place, but but you know there are others. Great. A park bench is great. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine getting you know getting outdoors as much as you can. That's a good one for me too. Yeah. What is one book that you have read that has changed your life? One book that challenged me, or yeah it could be challenged you or you know made an impact on you or changed the way you thought there's a very little book very small very short written back in about 1903 okay by a fellow by the name of james allen okay and the book is titled as a man thinketh okay and the whole premise of his little book is that whatever you think about is what you become. Hmm. And if you if you take the time to analyze your thought process and see where it's going, that will that will tell you the direction you're headed in. And you'll either like that direction or you won't. And so if you want to be going in a particular direction, then that needs to be where your thoughts are. So that book, probably more than any any other, and I read this years and years ago. Um, yeah. And the copy I have now is newer. The the copy I had then is all worn out, and I lost it somewhere along the way. Okay. Um, but that probably had more influence than anything. Yeah, that sounds like it would be a really, you know, really poignant book, right, to help your thoughts along the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you a rereader? A rereader. Yes, I reread. I seldom reread anything cover to cover. Um, but I have many books that I go to just for certain passages. I have other books that I go to. I've read the whole thing a few times, but I go there and maybe just pick it up and read wherever I happen to open because okay. of the kind of book that I can just read one scene remember the entire the entire thing um yeah. so yeah i have several books like that i'm i'm rereading one of those now um it's a um a john o'donohue um book that you probably know um amakara is an irish uh, celtic wisdom collection of celtic wisdoms Um, that uh, you can pick up anywhere and read a page, a page and a half scene and and just ponder that um, for an hour or two. You don't need to keep going. I like books that, (laughs) and think about this until we were talking about it. In in my book, I asked the designer, to put little benches because there is a bench on the cover of the book I asked the designer to put little benches little bitty ones 
at scene breaks all through the book. Oh, I love that. And the designer wanted to know what those were for. And I said, those were little places to stop and rest and not keep reading. Okay. Nothing says that you have to just keep turning pages. It's yeah. fine to reach a point and stop and set the book down and think about what you just read. And those little benches are strategically placed through the book where I would like for you to just rest and think about what you've just read. Oh, I love that. That's such a great point. Because I think we need that reminder sometimes in our yes, life. At least do. I do. Is yeah, my life is like, go, go, go. Yeah. But no, okay, it's okay to stop and take a moment. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always been amazing to me that if I look at someone's calendar, they seldom have intentional blacked out periods yeah. of time for themselves. And from a business standpoint, speaking as a past business owner and executive, if you don't have thought time, you're not doing justice to your job. Yeah. Because you need time to reflect on what you've done right, what you've done wrong, and what you can do better in the future. And that requires time to think. So you yeah. can't pack your schedule so full that you don't have time to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you. That is a great piece of advice for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question here. What are you reading next? Uh, well, I'm, I'm back at... at at John O'Donohue's book, um, and I did decide this time that I just start at the front and read it all the way through. So that's where I am right now. Um, okay. About I'm about halfway through, um, and that book is good for me in transitions into whatever comes next. Yeah. Oh well, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing all of You're this welcome. with us thank, today. Thank you for having, having me on. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation today with Bruce McIntyre. We'd love to hear what other books you might pair with this social justice book flight at www.bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. This is a brand new show. So if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.